Good afternoon. God is good and all the time and that is his nature indeed. So today we are on our third Sunday on this series that we have dubbed as Church Wise. And in this series we aim to discuss some of the different things that happens within our gathering when we meet the different aspects of our service so that we may be able to understand but also so that we may be able to be informed on how best we can get involved in all those segments. We started this off with Pastor Madenga telling us about you know, the, why we serve the Lord's table, why we serve Holy Communion. Last week we talked about why or we preached on why we preach. You know, and one of the things that we, I did challenge you is to be praying for your pastors, that you be involved in the pulpit ministry by praying for the preachers, but also heeding God's word, that when you go out there, you know, the, when you go to practice the word, to Monday to Saturday, that indeed you leave out that word, that it doesn't get, uh, get into you from one side of the ear and then get out on the other side, that it be planted in our hearts and also in our minds. So I hope that you did pray for the preacher for today. Did you? All right, don't lift up your hands. But we'll get there. I think just a few. Maybe next week when we ask the same question, we have as many people answering yes. So today we look into why we sing. And in the coming weeks, we, we'll be discussing about why we give, why we baptize, and why we pray, and also why we gather. So it's a seven-part series. And so... As we talk about the why we sing today, you know, I was just thinking about the power of music. If you are like me, you struggle to memorize, you know, gospel songs. You know, you struggle, unlike the secular songs. You get me there? Are you with me? Are you with me, or I'm, I'm alone? You know, struggling. You know, I can remember. I grew up in the village in the 90s. You know, and the songs, the secular songs that we, you know, that were played over the radio then, even today, I still remember them. My wife, Joanne, struggled wondering, is this a true or a fake pastor? You know, because the song goes, you know, and I sing along with it. And yet, hymns, remembering hymns, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus, that's the end. You can't remember beyond that. But Celine Dion, Michael Bolton, ladies... Okay, my age mate, ladies, Michael Bolton was the guy. You know, you're all praying for someone who looks like Michael Bolton, but this isn't your truly cool. <laughs> you know, Kina Tracy Chapman, Sundowner, KBC Sundowner, my fans were Sundowner. And I think the reason why we struggle with this is because songs somehow get into our deepest level of emotions. They minister to us. But the reason why secular songs, I think they are more attractive, is especially love songs, you see you can touch the object of your song, so to speak. If you are heartbroken, actually there is someone real whom you know with all their names and you know their place and you know how they have heartbroken you. And so even as you see, you know, you sing that song, that love song, with someone in mind that you can touch, that you can see, that you can speak to. You know, when we sing about the love songs, you know, I'm one of those guys that we are called the hopeless romantics. I believed that, you know, songs, secular songs will help me in my journey of marriage. 
that when I sing along to my future wife, that she will be able to take that uh, very, very well. Well, it didn't happen. God gave me a Presbyterian girl who knew nothing about those songs and wanted to be encouraged with hymns and other songs of the book. I haven't recovered yet 13 years down the line. I never found what I wanted. You can only imagine a shark's boy in Akuru on Meningai, uh, the, the creator, Meningai creator, and singing a song about love when the sun is just going down. You can imagine that, right? Now then you come to sing to church, behold our God, where is he? I can't touch, I can't see, and so it becomes a little bit hard to remember these songs. The other thing is that songs get into our memory. We remember songs. There's actually a guy, a very famous uh, preacher from England called Isaac Watts, who, used to, who had written so many songs. Some of them you could be familiar with. But he was a preacher, and so what he would do, after every sermon, when he prepares a sermon, he writes a song. He writes a hymn. Right now, no one remembers about his sermons, but we remember many of his songs. Go and Google some of his songs. We have sung them here. And he knew that a song, when it's sung, you remember it. You know, when you sing a song, it somehow etched in your memory. You may remember when we were in high school, some of us Kitambo, some of us just recently, and we struggled with the periodic table. Do you remember the periodic table? The first 20 elements, do you remember them? There was hydrogen, there was helium. I can't remember the others unless I sing a song. Did you guys have a song? Hey, hey, listen to BBC News on Friday night, right? Then you remember helium, whatever, hydrogen. Listen, lithium, B, boron, and whatever, and carbon, and all that. You remember, you sang a song, and then you remembered. It is etched in your memory. So even now, if you really struggle with memorizing scripture, it is good if you try to make it into a song, you might actually remember the song that just Nixo has just led us through here, Psalm 150. You may not remember it, but when you sing along, you memorize that. So songs are very, very powerful. In, they settle in our memories they, because they go to our deepest levels of emotions. So we need to be, I think that's why, Many of us struggle, you know, remembering Christian songs, but when you get into a match, you know, you get into a match and all this music is booming around, by the time you are alighting on the other side, you know, you are singing along that song very, very well. But it's because many times we have our object of our singing right there. The counter for that is believers. We need, you know, we learned last week that we need to develop a very personal relationship with God. We were talking about that word, that word gala, that means that God in his word, he has laid himself bare and sort of naked so that he can be known by you. And so if we get to know this God, if we read God's word, it's most likely that then when we sing along, even if we cannot be able to see him or touch him, the reality is so real that when we worship and when we sing, that we know that actually we are singing to a living God. So that's what we try to talk about, about why we, we, you know, why we sing. And we are going to turn to the book, we are going to camp in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. If you may go there with me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. 
It is in the New Testament, so if you can see akina Jeremiah, akina Habakkuk, and all that, please know that you're in the wrong. Go to the New Testament. You might actually not find it. You're looking for akina James, akina Titus. But if you locate Galatians, you'll be close there. There is actually a mnemonic for that General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. For those who struggle with memory like I do. And last week, actually, we learned that God's word was read to the people of Israel while they were standing. You knew Israel. Please stand so that we may read God's word together. You know. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And that's the word of the Lord. Let us say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your living word. We pray, Father, that even as we interact with these words that were written long ago, that they make sense to us today. Illuminate your words so that, Lord, we'll be instructed, we'll be able even to remember it, and we'll be able to say that indeed you are blessed. We thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We may have our seats. Thank you. There was a writer called Gordon Dahl who wrote a book called Work, Play, and Worship. And in that book, he laments how Christians, we approach this moment of worship, singing and praising our God. He wrote this quote, that as Christians, we worship our work, we work at our play, and play in our worship that we do not do what we are called to do at the right time. We worship our work, we work at our play, and play in our worship. And I think the reason why he was lamenting this is because many times as Christians, we do not understand really why we do some of the things that we do. Sometimes we don't understand why we sing. We found people singing, we grew up singing, we just sing for we found it like that. We do not really understand why. It is like one time I was, when I was pursuing my wife, then we were dating, and you know, I saved enough money to take her to a more fancier hotel or restaurant, and when we were there, you know, I was trying to look for my favorite meal, which is ugali. Because I grew up eating ugali with something, rice with something. Then I came to Nairobi and I discovered that I was not brought up well. Actually, in the city, they call it accompaniment. You know, so you, there's a main meal, there is either mutton or beef, then it can be accompanied by ugali or chips or rice. Do you get me there? Because I was those guys who go to a hotel and because of my level of poverty, start, get the menu and you start reading it from the right to the 
Do you know those guys? You know, because first you check the price, what is it? Tea, a hundred bob. Those are two packets of milk. No, I can't. <laughs> so you look at like... But then that day I was, you know, because I was in love and my object of love, so to speak, my wife was there, so I decided to start from the left to the, to the, to the right. You look at what you want and then proceed to the other side. And I looked for my favorite meal, that is my ugali, and I couldn't find it. Only to be assisted there and was told, no, that's not the main thing. You know, the main thing is here. Then when you order, you can say if you want fries or ugali or you want some, some, some rice. That's the same thing that we do. We concentrate on the accompaniment. We don't concentrate on the main meal of why actually we sing. God made us capable of worship through the utilization of music. So singing songs, number one, we should be reminded that it is a gift of God to us. But we can never appreciate any gift. If songs are a gift, we can never appreciate any gift from God if we do not acknowledge that indeed it is a gift of grace. Actually, when you look into the New Testament, the word gift is charisma. And charisma is often translated as grace. So gift and grace, you know, they are tied together on the hip. Meaning that a gift of singing must first reflect the grace which is given to us freely and not earned. Why am I saying that it is a gift of grace? The Bible, you may remember, that it starts with these words. In the beginning, God, that what that means is that before anything else existed, that God was still in existence. God in the person of the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed completely content, lacking nothing, exuberant, happy, joyful. What I'm trying to say is that this God whom we sing to and we praise and exalt every Sunday lacked nothing. He was fully satisfied. He lacked nothing that our worship complements. So from eternal past, God has always delighted in his glorious perfection. Actually, it's a book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 that says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. That is the God that we praise, fully satisfied, reigning in everything. But out of God's desire to display his glory, he created the heavens, God created the cosmos, the universe, the solar system, and the Milky Way, the planet Earth. And on that, uh, on that planet Earth, he created a special place called Eden. He created the human race there, settled them there in an idyllic environment where, there, where it was free from sin or strife. It was free from defilement, decay, or despair, or any kind of disappointment. It was an environment that was very, very special, but it wasn't very special because of the environment, really. It was special because God's presence dwelled in there. The presence of God was in that place called Eden. So the first couple, that is Adam and Eve, 
lived there enjoying the perfect presence of God and his glory as an image bearer of God. So they breathed, they ate, they drank, they worshipped, they worked to worship and to exalt the goodness and the greatness and the grandness of God. A few minutes later, man sinned. And when he had sinned, he tried to hide his nakedness. But God, instead of putting man to eternal death in their state of sinfulness, God, out of his mercy and grace, covered Adam and Eve with a garment from an animal skin. So what, means, what that means is that God had to slaughter an animal and then cover his children. I love what one commentator would say, that God drew the first drop of blood in his creation for you and for me to be covered. So he provided when Adam was hiding, and even for us, before we knew this God, perhaps we were running away from him. But he provided, he came and reached out to us. Uh, because our natural inclination is to run away, is to always run away and to hide from our God. So in our worship, if we fail to understand that actually God reached out to us through his grace, outpouring of his grace, then we may miss the main point of why we sing to our God. That God is the one who has given us this grace and opened a door, us as sinful people, us who are fallen people, to sing and to declare his praises unto him. So when we are called to sing songs of lament, dirges, you know, redemption songs, or songs that exalt our God, we should never forget that it is the grace of God first that brought us salvation and redemption. We sing because God first saved us, reached out to us. He provided a way out. And because of that, we have the hope of eternal life. So if you miss that, then we make just noise without making sense of what we are singing about. We sing because God reached out to us. God drew the first blood for us to cover us and to bring us to his presence. In any case, it takes God to worship God. It's not just on our own merit, but it takes God to worship God. It is in this regard that what we have read from the book of Colossians, Paul says that then if you understand that this is the gift of salvation that has come to you, then you will have peace with God. He says there, let the peace of Christ then rule your hearts. This is the peace that I'm talking about. And Paul gives us two instructions there on how we need to conduct ourselves when we are singing or when we are worshiping God through music. He gives us two commands. Command number one, the peace command. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then the other one is the gratitude command and be thankful in that very same verse of Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. And be thankful. It is here that we make a case that then singing to God, singing to our Lord is an outcome, is a direct outcome of a people who have peace with him through his salvation. And because of that, acknowledging what God has done, they are full of gratitude and the only thing that can come out of their hearts and their lips 
is joy is to exalt, it's to praise and to honor our God. So we have nowhere to start if we don't remember that actually we sing to our God because he has reached out to us, he has come for us, and he has given us a free gift of salvation. It is out of this that we see a few songs that were sung in the Old Testament. There are many, many songs. There are about 300 words. If you just do a quick search, you see that there are many, many songs that the people of God, in his word, that people sang. Credible, go, good songs and wonderful songs. I will not read for you all those hundreds of songs, but let me just, perhaps to lay a case, be able to present to you five of those songs. For example, in the Old Testament, the first song that is recorded is from the book of Exodus chapter 15. God had saved his people, Israel from Egypt, and Moses, amidst his busy schedule, you know, sat down and wrote a song. And he taught the people. He taught the people this song that is found in the book of Exodus chapter 15. Verse 1 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. So the people of Israel were seeing how God has saved them. That they were in imminent danger. They were being pursued to be taken back to slavery. But now God has redeemed his people in this way. And the only thing that Moses can do is to write a song to exalt God because of the salvation that he has brought to his people. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. He taught this song to the people of Israel. Moses, a leader of two million people, would sit on the side, would go on the side and write a song and teach the people, and all of them were joyfully dancing. Actually, his sister in verse 20, then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. The very same song that Moses had taught the people, Miriam goes to the side. Maybe the men were not singing it well. You know, and she thought, let me get the ladies. We might sing it well. And in any case, I know how to play this tambourine. And she blew it up, and they sang, and they remembered the salvation that God has brought. Friends, what is a song that you can dance to when you remember how God saved you? Do you have it? Go and think about that. Is there a song that you can sing to the Lord when you remember how God has saved you? That you can be able to sing it again and again in praising him and in honoring him. Later, when David was pursued by Saul, but God delivered him, he sang a song to God. A song of deliverance. And this song is very special because it is actually recorded twice in the Bible. In the book of 2 Samuel. You know, and again in the book of Psalm 18. Where it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My savior. You save me from violence. A song of deliverance. David erupts and sees that, God, you have a hand in my deliverance and in my protection. Because of that, he writes a song, joyful song to the Lord. When Solomon again built the temple for the Lord, during its consecration of this temple, he summoned an orchestra of 120 
trumpeters, that those who are priests, 120 of them, normally we have four, four or five band members, 120 to raise a praise song to God. And, you know, people of God were encouraged to sing. That is found in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. They encouraged people to lift up their voices through music to God in an exuberant, overt fashion, utilizing the gift of praise and the gift of music. And the people worshipped, and the people were good. I mean, they sang, our God is good, his love endures forever. When God has given you victory, what is a song that you can sing unto him? Indeed, as we have done, as we have sung earlier in the special, the book of Psalm, which is a collection of many songs, ends with that song that we sang earlier here. Sort of making a conclusion of how we need to be worshipping. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Friends, do you have breath? Praise the Lord. That's what the psalmist here is saying. That we can utilize the gift of music in praising our God. We can utilize the gift of musical instruments. Even when you do not know how to play them. He says, praise him with a clash of cymbals. I mean, just clash them. You don't need to be a perfectionist like Mwangi when he gets his guitar here. If you can do that, just praise him. I remember when growing up and we go occasionally to churches and some men who never knew how to play a harmonica or the drums or anything, you know, they would just, even by snapping of their fingers, you see that person is contributing to the praise even with everything that God has given him. You would see growing up in the village, every person when going to church, there were no band members. You know, the band members were the believers. Carry your drum, the skin drum, you know, and just before the service begins, you put them outside, they dry, they tighten, so that they can make a great sound to the Lord. Amen? We may not do it here. Otherwise, Pastor Grace will not be very amused because God has given us even more advanced musical instruments. In the New Testament, Jesus, after serving the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, and just before he was crucified in the book of Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus led, actually, a praise and worship. Jesus sang, and most likely because uh, he was a teacher of this group, he's most likely he was the, what, what, they, what, what they could call the, the, the cantor, you know, the Jewish worship leader. It's like, most likely that Jesus stood up and led this guy. So you can only imagine Jesus Christ, the one who is holy, blameless, sinless, perfect in always, singing and leading you into praise and worship. Don't you like that? And most likely he sang actually, because it was during the time of Passover, he sang from a collection of the Psalms. They are called Psalm 113 to 118. That's what used to be sung then. It's called the Great Hallel or the Great Hallelujah, where you get the word Hallelujah. They would sing these Psalms. And most likely, 
Bible commentators will agree most likely Jesus Christ sang from Psalm 118. Do you know what maybe Jesus sang? You know, most likely Jesus sang this song. I will not die but live and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give, that, I'll give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Most likely Jesus sang that song. And this is just when he was about to be crucified. He was just about to die. But he sings a song that entrusts him in the hands of God. Friends, if Jesus, if God sang, we have no obligation but to sing. I don't have enough time to remind you that actually even Paul, later in the New Testament, Paul, when he was arrested with Silas, they got into that prison and they raised a praise to the Lord. Singing must come from a heart that is at peace with God and full of gratitude. Are you at peace with God? Then if so, you, and you need to be thankful of what he has done saving you, and out of that, then you'll be able to sing to God a wonderful song. But in our text, let's go back to the book of Colossians chapter 3, from verse 15. I feel like we can be able to learn many things here about how we need to sing, or the principle of singing. And I want us to look for, I mean, or quickly for five things that Praising God or singing to our God, it is a decision. I'm going to look at it in five days. That it is a decision. It is based on doctrine, decision, doctrine, discipleship, diversity, and direction. So we're going, just going to look at that quickly, what that may mean or what that entails. Friends, Paul says there, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. So you belong together. You are members of one body. You belong to God as members, you brothers and sisters, who are seated here in my hearing right now, that you are members of one body. So true worshipers then decide as part of the same body to come together and to praise him and to worship him. They understand that God is not a solitary God, that God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They gather together, knowing that God does not exist in solitary form, and even for us, we cannot be able to offer, yes, they are called again to praise our God even in our secret places, but again, there is joy that emanates from people who come together to raise a prayer or to raise a song to God. They gather together with the peace of salvation. The Bible says there, you are called to peace. That they gather together with the peace of salvation and then they sing, they raise a song to God. Why do they gather together? Psalm 111, verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. 
that they know that I am, yes, God has ministered to me individually, but we are going to gather together as a redeemed people of God, saved by his grace, and to raise a song, to raise a praise unto him. So when we decide, so it's a decision. I belong to a certain body, and so I need to go there and participate actively in singing and praising God. So if it is a decision, then what does that mean? Number one, when you decide to come to church, when you decide to gather as part of the larger body of Christ, number one, you need to remember that you need to be prompt. Decide to show up on time. In the gathering, in the congregation of his upright, of his righteous people, decide to be prompt. Decide to show up on time. It is an important aspect of showing up on time to sing to our God. Some of us, we know, we get late for one reason or another. You know, and perpetually we get late. The service starts at 12. You know, we show up you know, at 35 or 40 minutes, just the last song when, you know, just the last one. That's all that I want. We need to have a culture of showing up on time, knowing that it is an important time to, re to remember how God has saved me, how God has been with me. And out of that, out of that, well knowing that I have peace with God, that I have hope with him, my heart is outpouring with thanksgivings, and what a joy if all of us, 400, 500 people, 600 people, joyfully join together to praise our God. So show up on time. If you are always late, let me give you some wisdom. If you are late for you know, 30 minutes, please be sleeping on Saturday. Be sleeping 30 minutes before. If you sleep at 11, be sleeping at 10.30. Isn't it? So that you can wake up on time and show up on time in the presence of God. If we decide that we are members of, the, of this body, not only are we required to be prompt, but also we are required to pray. Pray by the time that you're coming here that indeed you'll have an encounter with God and I, uh, you know, as you gather together with God's people, that you do not know whom you'll be seated next to, but when you join together joyfully for those 30 or 40 minutes, that indeed you're going to meet with God, but also you're going to encounter the joy of singing to our God together. So pray that the Lord may minister to you. Pray that your heart will be ready to serve and receive from others as well. Pray for the music team. Pray for the band members. Pray for them. That God will watch over them and that God will be able to bless them. Apart when you decide to join together as a member of the body, you not only need to be prompt, not only to pray, but also participate and ponder the goodness of God. That the gathered church was never meant, when we gather together, the gathered church was never meant to be a spectator event. That you watch others singing and praising their God. That all of us, we are called to participate. That with a, it's not a few people in the spotlight and everyone look, looking on. That all of us are required to participate and to ponder the, the songs that are being sung. You not only participate by responding to the, when the music leader stands here requesting you to sing along. You not only participate in that way. But do you have a gift? Can you sing? And you are there, participate. 
you know, seeing Pastor Gracie and telling her, you know, I want to join the music team. I think I can make a note. You do not know how myself and say Pastor Madenge, who desire to sing, but we have no gift. Our vocal cords are so distracted, we can't sing to save ourselves. But maybe you are there and you are gifted. Participate. Respond as a member of this body. Respond by participating. Can you play an instrument? You may be seated there and you can be able to make a note. Come and see Mwangi, our band leader, and say, I'm not very perfect, but I can be able to play a harmonica, I can whistle, I can snap my fingers, I can bring my accordion, I can bring my karingaringa. How can I participate in all this? And actually, on Fridays, we have decided as a church that on Fridays, should there be anyone who is in our midst who desires or has a gift of playing any musical instrument, that on Fridays, there will be classes here for free to come and harness those skills. Because we want to believe that the best musicians, the best band members should not be outside there in secular concerts, but they should be raising a praise to our God. So we hope that if you can be able to play, please see Mwangi here and you can join him every Friday from next week and you can be able to harness those skills. If you are not gifted in all those ways, when we are led to sing, the Bible says, the, the Bible sets the bar solo for everyone to participate in singing. Actually, the Bible would say, make a joyful noise. I mean, that one, you all of us qualified, don't we? So there is no need of sitting there, standing and looking at us, angry, like you are served broccolis or commanders for breakfast. You need to make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's why we provide the lyrics so that you can participate and ponder the words that you are singing along. The Bible says, whatever you do, whether in words or in deeds, whether you are singing there, or you are leading us here or playing in the band, whatever you do, in words or deeds, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God, the Father through him. You don't sing for anyone. You don't sing so that you can be seen how good you are by your spouse. We sing to the glory and honor of God. That's how we need to participate. So we decide... We make a decision to be part of the, this body by showing up here promptly, praying, and also participating. Let's go to the second D, doctrine. The Bible says there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what it's saying here is that let the abundance of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about salvation and peace that comes with that. Let the abundance of knowing Christ be overflowing in you. Express it publicly, but also leave it privately. That the word of God influences you to sing, but also even when you are not in the limelight, that actually you leave that word out there richly. So because of that then, our choice of songs should be to some extent an exposition of God's word. In other words, we believe that beautiful theology should produce beautiful praises to our God. That your singing is not a substitute towards God's word. That we need to be careful not to internalize songs that do not have a biblical ground. Paul says there, let the word of Christ dwell in you 
richly. That any definition of true worship that denies or minimizes God's supremacy, God's authority, and God's uniqueness is unbiblical. So what does that mean? That we need to interact with God's word so that the songs that we are singing, we can be able to measure them with the word of God. Is this song actually helping me or enabling me to sing to our God? Does it help me to see the supremacy, the authority, and the uniqueness of God? So that means we may need to evaluate the songs that we sing, the songs that we listen to, even at home. Sometimes I visit people, I visit you guys, and sometimes I find YouTube bringing not very nice songs, and the pastor has just shown up here. <laughs> and you do not know what to do. And sometimes I feel bad that some congregants, you know, you have to change because the pastor is there. And you go to other good songs, you know, uh, gospel songs. And when you are searching there, I can see your list dropping there, <laughs> your choices of songs right there. Don't change for me. Leave it, out, leave it, it out. Evaluate the songs that you listen. Make sure that they are not just good feel music, good feel songs, but they are actually songs that magnify their supremacy and the authority and the uniqueness of God. That D, 3D, that these songs or our praise need to be rich in discipleship. The Bible says there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. That while singing involves me, it is never just about me. It is not just about me. It involves others. That while we make a melody to the Lord in our hearts, we also address one another in the song. That there, yes, there is the vertical as well as horizontal focus. We are singing to our God, but also we are singing together here. That instructions are actually taking place as we sing. We admonish and we teach each other. When we sing, for example, the song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That don't, let me not turn, let me not turn to or focus to my surroundings or to my environment or what's happening in my life. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Another song, for example, you give and you take away. It teaches us that whether God brings us to a place of abundance or lack, we can still bless the Lord. Sometimes we come, down, we come to church weighed down by anxiety, struggles, relationships, parenting duties, financial challenges, discouragement, or even in a moment of grief. But as we sing this song to our God, we let the truth of God enter into our ears, into our hearts, and we proclaim them together through our lips. That while songs will speak to our emotions, it is the truth in those songs that should set us free, not necessarily the music itself. It is the words in that song that should set us free. Or put simply, that the truth must transcend the tunes that we sing. So knowing our Bibles very, very well doesn't deaden our worship, doesn't destroy our mood of worship when we know the word of God well, but rather it informs and inflames our worship so that we can sing to a God that we deeply know, that we deeply love. 
So unless we read our Bibles well, friends, we may not know what we are worshipping or who we are worshipping. Fourthly, the fourth D, diversity, rich in diversity. It says there, and as you, you know, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And when Paul was writing this letter, he was writing it to a church that was very, very diverse. If you look up there, you'll see that Paul says in verse 11, the same chapter, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That this church had so many people and there were conflicting interests. They were, there were Greeks, there were Jews, just like the same way in our church. There are people who come from Kiamburo, uh, there are some who come from Maruroi, there are some who come from Denderu, with their songs, and from Wangige, with their songs, and all that. And all those people gather here, different backgrounds, racial backgrounds, and all that, the same way. But Paul writes there and says that Christ is in all and is in all. That despite our backgrounds, despite our interests, that one focus that we should have is that we are singing to our God and we understand this Christ by his grace that he has given to us. Christ is all and in all. So while there, all these people who are coming from different backgrounds, then feel free to diversify the choice of your songs. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sometimes people can be so rigid that the only way for them to worship is through one category of songs. And debate has been held in churches. Churches have been divided, but that this is the right way to sing. Hymns, only hymns. Levitating just a little bit. Not doing much. And others say, no, there is, the spirit of God is not there. The spirit is being quenched. So we need to sing loudly. We do not need hymns. We do not need, we need spiritual songs. The way the Spirit is speaking to you at that moment, sing joyfully that song. And churches have, have, have been divided because people have been so rigid. But Paul tells us here, be, have diversity. Sing spiritual songs. Have an array of songs, creative songs. That means that there might be at times when our most sincere worship is singing a song that we do not prefer because we know that someone else is being helped by that song. We are called as members of one body to care for one another in humility and say, I, this is not my genre, this is not my taste, but for the sake of someone else who is singing this song joyfully, let me participate in that way because that brother or that sister is being encouraged. Number five. And by the way, before even I go to number five, when you're talking about the diversity of the songs, one of the things that happens here in church, we spend a lot of time, all the songs that are sung here, we spend time evaluating and checking that are these songs good, relevant, are they actually going to teach and encourage God's people. We debate about that so that we can make sure that the word that we preach and the songs that you guys are singing along, that they are songs that have been carefully selected, they fit to be sung in the congregation of God's people. 
Number five, the direction of our praise. The direction. It says there, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. That this worship, these songs that we sing, they have a direction. That we sing to the audience of one. We do not sing so that we can be heard how good we are with our harmonies. We sing to the audience of one, giving praise to our God. So the songs that we sing must have a direction. But friends, we know that all our efforts to sing unto our God, even all those things that are mentioned here, that our worship has direction, that our worship must be diversified, that our worship should be, we should be heavily, you know, based on doctrine of God, we know that even our best efforts will not be perfect. But this is it, friends, that one day there will be a perfect and an endless song. The book of Revelation has many songs, and they tell us that those who have departed, those who are there in heaven and the host of heaven are in unity singing, not because of the style of music, but because of the focus of their song. Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor. There is a song that will end, will, not, will never end, that will be sung eternally. Preaching in heaven will stop. Giving will stop. Say amen. Giving will not be there in heaven. Right? Praying will not be there. But there is one thing that shall remain. That we shall be singing forever and ever. And then our song shall be perfect. But for now, we sing with the hope of our God that one day, that as we sing to our God, that the song that we raise is a rehearsal of that perfect song that one day we shall sing. Let us stand so that we may close our service in singing this song that reminds us of the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ.